This is The Connection, a Dirty Free Hub podcast connecting gravel cyclists to where they ride through short stories about culture, history, people, places, and lands. A lot of people don't realize there were hundreds of Trail of Tears that happened in North America. And this was one. When anyone hears a story and they say, oh, great, I'm glad Yahats, you know, came around and did that. Those stories exist in one's own community where one uh, uh, says, this is my home. And what do they know about their sense of place? How much do they know about their local First Nation history? And how much of that is true? Yeah, because most of histories involving our Indigenous people, present culture and history is written by the majority culture. This is Joanne, a retired psychotherapist who specialized in trauma and rebuilding people's lives. She has extended that expertise in her work in the environmental movement in cultural and historical preservation of her area in Yahats. So I know you have 30 years in, in Yahats and have created a strong, lots of strong relationships with a variety of people in the area. Could you tell us a little bit about your experiences in the community and your background? Well, my background is I'm a psychiatric social worker slash psychotherapist. Among my specialties, the one I concentrated on the most was the area of trauma. I work both with victims slash survivors of trauma, but I also work with perpetrators of trauma, sex offenders, domestic violence offenders, child abusers. And I also work extensively in the area of historical trauma. My start in the community had to do with buying 27 acres of property along Highway 101. And my husband and I wanting to uh, donate a half a mile of the Oregon Coast Trail. Unbeknown to us, we were the first people in the state of Oregon to do that, starting that process in 1988. It only took 25 years to finish it. It's difficult to donate anything like that. But we set the precedent, and it's made it easier for other people. In light of that, and given my background, I wanted to know about our local First Nation history, as I had in different parts of the country where I lived. This was the first place I moved to where that history was almost non-existent. And what information there was out there, I found out very quickly was uh, grossly inaccurate and even lies. And so when I finally moved here in 1993, I made it a point to try to find out what that local history is. And I found very little information in the museums or in the libraries locally. I found out some information from the Oregon Historical Society but I really want to reach out to the local tribes. And it took a year for them to respond to me. Apparently not an unusual thing to happen, but but they eventually invited a friend and I who joined me in the search into their archives. And we found a ton of information about the local First Nation history. We felt it was so important that instead of it being a personal request, we decided to make an article out of it. And in light of that, ask the tribes, like Coos and Lower Umquensai, you saw a tribe and the Celeste tribe, if they would supervise us. And their cultural department had kindly consented and generously consented to do that. The article came out in 1996 in hard copy only. That was before the internet. And I'm that old. And so we, I made a promise to the tribal people that when we distributed that article, we would do it freely or just for the cost of printing it. 28 years later, I've kept that promise. And it's now online. And finishing up the second revision of that 
article with additional information and pictorials under tribal supervision. They approve every photo, every pictorial, every word that's printed and everything is doubly verifiable. And in the light of doing that research, even as far back as 1988, there was a sign at the Ahat Cemetery that said that there was a Indian agency in Yahats, a sub-agency of the larger Selets Reservation, uh, also known as the Coast Reservation, and that it was an idyllic community that existed for 16 years. I, at the same year, I came upon a book called Indians of Western Oregon, This Land Was Theirs by Dr. Stephen Dow Beckham, Chapter 10, uh, called The Reservation Years. He called the LC sub-agency in Yahats a location of atrocities. So that stimulated really my arduous search for the historical truth. He also included a story that he found at um, the Smithsonian Institute in Washington, D.C. in the 70s. Wow. It's a, a journal written by a sold young soldier who was stationed at Fort Yamhill. And he and other soldiers' responsibility was to gather up Indians from southern Oregon and forcibly march them up to the agency, which was really a prison camp in Yahats. He, he told the Amanda story. Let's take a listen into the Amanda story. This was a true story. When they were gathering up prisoners, he came upon a woman who was blind, who was with a common law husband, who was white. And they had a daughter, Julia, age eight. If this man would have married Amanda, she could have stayed. He refused to marry her. And she was forcibly taken away from her daughter and marched barefoot with other women and children and and men up the 80 miles of rocks and and beaches to Yahats. In, In the journal article, he talks about the suffering of all the people, and especially Amanda, and that Every time she had to go around like Hasida Head or Cape Perpetua, she fell numerous times and left a trail of blood. And I insisted that this section of trail be named Amanda after that story. And that, that story had to come out. It was representative of the genocide that happened at Solette's Grand Ronde prison camps and Yahats. And of course, throughout North America, the article came out in 1996. Trail opened up in parts as we got each piece done. So I took 25 years working with Federal Forest Service and Oregon Department of Transportation, as well as state parks that has the easement across my property. This is the information that we found out that unbeknownst to residents in Yahats, that the whole Yahats area was an urban center for over 8,000 years for the Yerik people. That is the southern villages of the LC people to the north. They were using this area for their summer camps. And then a, a mile or two up, they would have their winter camps. They followed the circle of the seasons. And so they were not nomadic. They were uh, gatherers, hunters, and agriculturalists. They were able to keep a continuous food supply, uh, knew all the fish runs, salmon runs. They were excellent smokers and, and preservation is the food. They knew how to cultivate the bulbous plants in the area. They lived in homes, not teepees. They lived in uh, se- uh, semi-subterranean homes, 
using cedar planks for their walls, their floors, and their roofs, which repelled water. Those foundations are still throughout Yahats. Many of them have been destroyed. Some of the largest ones I found actually undisturbed near the Amanda Trail. They traded with other villages, particularly during the summer. Uh, Yahats was a mecca for that. They had the uh, smelt runs that brought different villages and tribes from even the valley to come in. And they would trade at those times. They even played a hockey game called the Shinny Game on the beach. Oh, neat. Uh, The amazing thing is they were so, all the different coastal tribes and even valley tribes had so much food. They knew how to keep a continuous food supply. And you know, Oregon's rich, the rain and the green. And they developed over thousands of years their own language and dialects. There's many language and dialects, but how they would communicate is through something called the Chinook jargon. Mm-hmm. And it's a combination of all their different languages. The other thing a lot of people don't know is this was a haven for grizzly bears. Grizzly bears existed in Oregon. The LC, Sayuslaw, all the different coastal tribes had myth stories that involved grizzly bears, not black bears. But white people killed them all off by 1900. That's why we don't have any grizzly bears in Oregon anymore. Oh my gosh. Wow. And so... Uh, just like all of North America, Euro-American diseases grossly, horribly affected the coastal tribes here. And so even though they survived, archaeological documentation shows they were in this area for over 8,000 8, years. And they were, they were here probably even longer, but the ocean shoreline was further out to sea. And so those archaeological sites are probably on the ocean bottom. They survived tsunamis, they survived horrific uh, earthquakes, and still had a continuous food supply. But the Euro-American diseases, especially smallpox, tuberculosis, and influenza, wiped out 90% of the coastal people in just uh, two decades. And so when trappers came in, they called them explorers, they weren't explorers, they were trappers, came in and they were record what they saw. They saw the survivors, they didn't see the rich culture that these people once had. And so they started taking over the properties. They started taking over the land, manifest destiny. And, you know, the coastal people tried to fight back. There were wars, skirmishes. Of course, they lost them all. They were forced to sign treaties saying that if they did this, they could preserve their culture, but they had to be moved to a reservation. And it was called the Coast Reservation. It was 1.1 million acres from Tillamook down to Lake Pocanage, east to what you see Brand Ron now, and that they could live there quietly. The treaty was never ratified. Next thing they know, they're all being shipped up the coast, uh, down the Willamette, down the Columbia, then the Willamette River. They're being forcibly marched. Those forced marches and shipping, well over 50% died. And then they they went into prison camps. They had no access to that 1.1 million acres. The one prison camp was in Silets, one another... A satellite was in Grand Ron. And then they relegate all the Kuzler or Umpqua people who are 80 miles south to 100 miles south to a fort, um, a fort Umpqua. They were uh, imprisoned there. Many died there. Then they found this, what they call no man's land, which is now Yahats. And without any warning, they were the vast majority they could find was forcibly marched up the coast to, to this location. Again, over 50% died just on the forced marches. They had to be barefoot and they had no food. 
You were talking uh, a little about the rich, like kind of cultural history, the abundance of food, and like what happened to those sort of things while while this was all happening. There, be like being displaced. Well, they weren't allowed to practice their traditional hunting practices yeah. and gathering practices because that meant they had to have weapons and knives. And the soldiers and the agents felt that that was dangerous to them. They could only grab what they could grab with their hands. I read letters from the superintendent of Indian Affairs to these different agents that he said, if you know they can't be made into good Christians and farmers, then extermination is not out of the question. Even in the diary by the soldier who talked about Amanda, talked about how sadistic the fellow soldiers and the agents were. They didn't care if they lived or died. And they were prisoners. They were forcibly marched up here. They were told to grow crops on the ocean front. So when bicyclists go by and they see the Adobe Resort, it's like a plains area. Yeah. Uh, they were forced to grow wheat and corn, and, uh, soybeans. Along and, that coastal front? Uh, along that coastal front. Wow. Of course, there were crop failures. But the, yeah. in, and so in the first 12 years of the agency, 60% died. One soldier described very few births and that the Indian women were being raped by degraded class of settlers. Finally, finally, they they got a an agent who was competent and compassionate, and he allowed the prisoners in Yahats to be able to hunt their traditional hunting practices, and had them build a road up the Yahats River, a path, and there they could be able to farm, and without any help from the government at all, no goods, no services, nothing like that, they were able to grow crops and become successful. In just two short years, the deaths were greatly reduced and they were thriving. Well, the superintendent of Indian Affairs finds out about that. Oh, Yahats is fertile. It is good. He had already reduced the reservation 10 years before, cut it in half and opened it up for homesteading between the Elsie River and Yaquena River in, in, in Newport, where Newport is now. And so now he wanted to open up the reservation south of there to homesteading. Well, an act of Congress in 1875 said that no uh, more removal of Indians from the reservations could happen without the leader in chief's permission. So they had uh, a meeting in LC or what now Walport and a meeting in Yahats with the leaders. And the, all the leaders in chiefs said, no, we've lost one home. We finally established another home. We're not leaving. Well, the uh, superintendent of Indian Affairs violated that, as did the Celeste agent, and they closed down the LC sub-agency. The soldiers came, forced a lot of the people to go up to the Celeste reservation, of which many died on that march, and others ran away and became refugees in their own homeland. And of course, That's pretty heartbreaking. It's very heartbreaking. There were massive graves. And in the 1920s, when they built the Roosevelt Highway through Yahas, which is now Highway 101, they took those graves and what they didn't steal from those graves became filled under Highway 101. Oh, my gosh. And so those bodies under Highway 101. The tribes knew the story. They knew the Amanda story. They knew what happened here. The, uh, the community of Yahats did not. And Chief Doc Slider, when he gives his talks, says that, his people hated Yahats. And if they had to go from Florence to Lincoln City for some reason, they would go 
on 99 West or Interstate 5 to not drive through, or they just drive through in a hurry. A few had secret ceremonies here in honor of their ancestors, but there was no association with this community at all. So hence started that changing, only because the historical truth was said, we named the trail. I first initially put up signs that told the Amanda story and and the fact that genocide happened here, that developed into a, a box with a larger sign in it. And now we, Yahats has 11 interpretive signs, all tribally supervised, that talk about our local First Nation history for people to read and to learn about the articles online at viewthefuture.org under View the Past. We do numerous talks. We have an annual event called the New Year's Day Peace Hike. And we just had the 13th annual one. And, and tribal people come from all over and join. They actually do ceremonies and sing prayer songs. And people walk from the Yahats Commons, our community center, in peace and along the Amanda Trail and to the Amanda Gathering Area where there's the Amanda statue. And that's where they do the final ceremonies. And it's one of peace and reconciliation. Sounds like a beautiful ceremony to also be spreading the word. Yeah, we had over 150 people attend. Wow. Yeah, and uh, we we recently built a new suspension bridge, the first one on the Oregon Coast Trail. It's about 150 feet long to avoid mudslides that have occurred in the area and built in part with the help of the Confederate Tribes of Sletz Indians and Confederate Tribes of Kuzler Onkwansayusla Indians. And it bridge symbolizes the fact that we we were, we have come to bridge cultures and we now have healing hearts. I'm yeah. curious too, with like all your work you've been doing the last 25, 30 years, the Amanda story, a lot of the trail in the local community, how, what has been like the the feedback you've received in the, with the local tribes and the community on all of these projects? Well, it's been, as you said, 25, 30 years, uh, yeah. trust built overnight. And, and so the community really has come around, not only being educated about the historical truth of the genocide and the fact that people lived in harmony and continued continuous occupation for over 8,000 years, but also have come to have a deeper understanding and appreciation of that history. And that has set a foundation and a precedent for us earning trust with the tribes. It's been a rocky process because even with certain agencies, I won't mention them, it was a rough pill for them to swallow, representing the majority culture, to recognize that genocide occurred. People can always say, yes, we understand genocide occurred in North America, but they balk at the fact that it's in their own backyard. And to learn about their own history, and if that history doesn't exist, I always challenge people. What would you recommend, like, if if you were starting starting over again in your research process and you found this, you recognize that there, there was a place of missing history. What would you recommend to someone who wants to follow this process as well and learn more about their own local history or try and discover that? How would you get started? And is there anything you would do differently during your process? Don't expect the tribe, a tribal cultural department to just spew it out to you. It's not their responsibility. It's, it's for everyone to do their 
own research. And then, and there's a lot more literature out there. A lot of these tribes have bibliographies for people to read. They can reach out to the state historical preservation office regarding archaeological sites in their area. They won't be, uh, the state office will not be specific, but they can say, yes, this is an area that has archaeological sites. This is an area that once belonged to the this particular tribe and still does. And to do a lot of research first before contacting any tribes for verification and asking them to, if there's any additional direction for one to go in toward. Tribes don't like to be, and like a lot of people, they just don't like to be put upon to do work for majority culture people should do. I think sometimes they get contacted right before Indigenous Day. You know, say, give us something, you know, no, do your own research. There's a and, lot of interesting history that's pretty dark. As we've yeah, been it is. Yes, there is. Yeah. yeah. So I encourage anyone who listens to this podcast, come and visit the Amanda Trail. Uh, you can park your bikes right, right outside a green gate and tie them up to a post and walk in and you can visit the Amanda gathering area, cross the bridge. The trail is not accessible to bicycles too prone to have accidents between hikers and, and bicyclists because it's narrow and windy. But it is accessible by foot, and we have a lot of bicyclists that are parked outside that green gate at 1356 Highway 101 South. Thank you so much. And where can people find you if they want to come listen to you speak about the Amanda story? Periodically, talks are done, and they can find that either on the Yahats Chamber website or viewthefuture.org. And that's a nonprofit that I co-chair, does environmental preservation, supports recreational trails, and also does cultural preservation and documentation. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for doing that outreach. Dirty Free Hub is a nonprofit organization fueled by your generous contributions. Find us at dirtyfreehub.org.